Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. This is our Q&A series where I answer your questions regarding the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker. Let's get started. This question, one thing I'm totally confused about and cannot find an answer to, how does the infinite banking concept fit into a business and or a family trust? Well, two different things, right? A family trust, and I'm not an attorney. I don't give legal advice, and I don't give tax advice either. But I'm a life insurance agent, and I'm an investment advisor representative. And I only give advice to my clients, okay? But this is a good question. So a trust can be a beneficiary. It can be an owner. You know, there are, are, are ramifications of a trust being an owner of a policy. And then whether the trust is revocable, changeable, or irrevocable, not changeable. So you would need, your per, in your particular situation, you'd want to speak to a, a competent attorney right, that can advise you uh, correctly on your particular circumstances. Now, um, if a trust owns a life insurance and a trust can own many assets, right? And it just requires maybe more paperwork to manage that policy, i.e. loans and loan repayments. Um, a trust can be a beneficiary. A trust is an entity. And so if you have minor children, for example, or you want to control some of the payout or distribution beyond the grave, then, you know, a trust could be a beneficiary of a life insurance policy, right? And then, you know, the, the trustee has to uh, manage that trust and distribute the, uh, the corpus of that trust according to the trust agreement. So don't be confused. <clears throat> it's not complicated at all. <clears throat> it's like what, you know, uh, and then and let me say, too, that life insurance is a protected asset in many states, and there's different levels of asset protection. Uh, you know, life insurance is really governed by the state. So each state is different and some of the, you know, less, uh, you know, some of the states where everybody's leaving in droves, you know, there's very little protection under life insurance. So a trust may make sense if it's asset protection that you're looking at. Um, in other states like the great state of Texas, from which I hail, the life insurance is a protected asset, 100% protected. You know, and so are annuities. And then you look at, remember Ken Lay and Enron? You know, um, there's a reason investment gangsters, or let me rephrase that. There's a reason these investment newsletters are written out of Florida, right? There's some asset protection in Florida. I digress. Okay. So don't be confused. You know, a trust can be an important part of one's financial plan, um, depending on what that plan is and what the goals of the financial plan are. But you do need an attorney. In my opinion, I would encourage you to seek counsel with a competent attorney and pay them for their time. You know, it's like, don't, don't, don't print off something off of, uh, don't print a trust off of the internet, you know. These states have particular language in the law. I know Texas does. And so you'd want a Texas attorney, if you're in Texas, whatever state you're in, you know, deal with a, a, a local attorney. My opinion. This question from a longtime listener. Hey, 
can I see the videos of this think tank? So the think tank, the Nelson Nash Institute annual think tank, generally occurs in uh, February. This is March of 2022. Um, so, you know, we just returned last month. We, I think, talked about it a couple of times on a couple of different episodes. And the short answer is there are a lot of speakers at the think tank. Most of the uh, presentations are recorded, but the, uh, the Nelson Nash Institute really owns the rights of all of them. And then the speaker, um, like I spoke last, this, this particular think tank. And so it was recorded. And when they are produced, then I will make my talk available on our client, my client only access. Um, and then, you know, maybe, maybe not, I don't really know the future, but uh, we may release it to the general public. I know that we have, I have released previous talks, it just released them on YouTube for, for the uh, general public. But I have no idea what the other speakers are going to do or not going to do. But the short answer to your question is, sir, uh, you'll be able to see mine. And on the others, I know not. This question. Um, I know the best time to start is young. However, I am 50. Do not have more than 200 I can spend each month. And I have high cholesterol. Should I start this for me or my children? That's a very fair question. I believe that you should start where you're at, whether you have 200 a month or, you know, 20,000 a month, whatever it is, it is, um, you know, high cholesterol does not necessarily prevent you from being insurable. The, uh, you don't have to be in perfect health to be, to be insurable. And, and it's my opinion, Generally, see, I know nothing about you other than what you've disclosed here, but I think that you should start on yourself and then expand uh, naturally and appropriately. There's a particular way that I believe you should expand, but I think that you should start with yourself if you're insurable. When you purchase policies like on your children, um, they're limited on what they can have, right? If you're going to be the owner of the policy, then they can only have a derivative or a percentage of what you have in force on your life. And then if they're minor, that's if they're minor children, if they're grown children and not dependent, there's, there's a specific and particular insurability interests and underwriting guidelines, right? So it's not complicated, but there's a lot there. And so the short answer to your question, sir, is start where you're at if you're insurable. Who knows whether you're insurable or not? I don't know, but the underwriters, they'll tell us. And whatever you have is what you have. You know, do you want more in the future or not? Right? Okay. Thanks for asking that question. In this question, Sam asks, the dividend is more than a return of premium because if that was the case, they would stop after they refunded all of your money back. But they are more than that, which includes carrier investments, operating expenses, and previous death claims. Here's the question. Why doesn't the government tax anything over the return of premiums? Well, let's break that down. So the internal revenue service 
um, the stellar example of human beings that they are declare or they define a dividend from a life insurance company as a return of premium. Okay. I've said it many times. I don't care how you classify that dividend. Just pay a dividend. Okay. All right. And then the dividend is exactly your share of the life insurance company's financial experience in that year. So dividends are paid annually at the end of the policy year. They're declared annually. The rate, the dividend rate is declared annually at the beginning of the calendar year, paid at the end of the policy year. Um, and it is classified as a return of premium under the IRS code, the Internal Revenue Service Code. Um, so, you know, your statement is it's more than that. Yes, it's more than that. It is the financial. So if you own a life insurance company, a mutual company, you're in ownership position. So as an owner, you get to experience the financial or you get your share of the financial experience of the life insurance company, right? So it is much more than that. Well, the financial experience of a life insurance company absolutely includes their investment return on their portfolio, right? It includes their claims ratio, their cost of distribution. Um, all of that makes up their financial experience is either a plus, positive, or it's a negative, right? And all of the life insurance companies that, that you practice the infinite banking concept with have a long history of paying dividends. Now, some are, uh, you know, play games with their dividends or they don't intend to pay the dividends that they illustrate. Um, so that goes on in the life insurance world. But, you know, it is what it is. You should do your homework and your research, determine who you want to work with and what companies you want to work with. And if you're working with a competent, you know, NNI practitioner, for example, um, they're fully aware of who does what, what life insurance company, how they operate, how they treat their policyholders, what kind of dividend do they pay? What is their dividend history? Do they pay dividends when there's outstanding loans or not, direct or non-direct recognition? Um, okay, so the question, why doesn't the government tax anything over the return of premiums? Well, if you think about that life insurance, why don't they tax life insurance? Why, why don't they tax the death benefit? Well, because it is not life insurance is not an investment. It is a loss, right? It is an insurance product. So if uh, you wrecked your automobile and you received a claim from the auto insurance company, is that taxable? No. Why? Because it's not a gain. It's a replacement of a loss. Death benefit is the same way when it comes to life insurance. If I die, my beautiful wife loses me and all of my future income, right? So the uh, the uh, insurability, right, is all calculated by the life insurance company, and they're putting a value on me and all of my future income, and that represents that death benefit represents a replacement of that loss, right? So it's not taxable. Okay, well, the the uh, the cash value, the cash accumulation in a life insurance policy is not taxable, right? Um, and, and let's be clear that the the cash value of a life insurance policy is the net present value of a future death benefit minus future premiums, all right? Not to get all complicated, but the cash value is part of the death benefit. 
Now, if I've paid in $50,000 in premium, let's say I have $60,000 in cash value. These are illustrative numbers for uh, uh, just an example here. So $50,000 in premium is my basis. $60,000 is the accumulated cash value. Now, I can borrow against the cash value and loans are not taxable either. If you go down to the bank and borrow a bunch of money, the IRS doesn't tax you on that loan. Right. If you borrow 10,000 or you spend 10,000 on the credit card, right? You get whatever you're purchasing, but that's not taxable income to you. Right. Well, that was a purchase. If you did a, even a cash out, you know, if you, um, whatever the limit is on your credit card, if you go and get just cash, that's not income because it's a loan. So 50,000 in premium, total premium, cumulative premium. That's my basis. $60,000 in my example of accumulated. Um, cash values. If I borrowed $60,000 in a loan, it's not taxable. But if I withdraw $60,000 from the policy, right, I'm going to lapse the policy or, or even if I don't lapse the policy, well, that would lapse the policy if I borrowed or withdrew the cash value and didn't pay premium. Um, but if I withdrew the 60 and my basis is 50, that 10000 is absolutely ordinary income taxable in the year of receipt. Okay, so uh, depending on the circumstances, the government will tax anything that's not nailed down, including your uh, quote-unquote gains with inside, with, uh, inside a life insurance policy. So I hope that answers your question. Okay, and thanks for asking. And then Mitch, he asked, uh, when is the next seminar meetup? Great question. You know, the last live event that we did in, in my office, in our practice, was pre-COVID. And, and we even, you know, right when COVID came in a couple of years ago and they're shutting down the economy, um, and they're sh they were shutting down the venues, you know, that was the last one we had scheduled. So the short answer is this is, March of 2022, and I think that we're going to try to put one together this year in 2022. It'll be toward the end of the year. And looking forward to it. You know, I love live events. I love our clients meeting each other. Right, I, I, mean, I love meeting our clients. We've got clients all over the country that I've never met, and I look forward to meeting you. I know many of you that are listening, you know, we've never met, and, and I, I love and look forward to the opportunity of meeting him. Then I enjoy greatly the uh, camaraderie and the conversations that clients and prospective clients have amongst themselves. So uh, the goal, Mitch, is that by the end of this year. Thank you for listening. If you have a question that you would like answered, email me at james at bankingwithlife.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.